And I'd like for you to open to two places, one just to reference another time on another sermon and one for today. One is Luke chapter 21 and verses 34 through 36. And the other one we'll turn to for our message today is in Luke chapter 18. A few weeks ago, actually is in August, I did a series called The Day That Is and The Day That Is To Come. You remember that. And we talked about the way things are as we are here today and the way they are prophesied they're going to be at the end. It's not only a time of warning, but so that we can be prepared for it. And as Jesus speaks here, that we won't be caught unawares. At the end of that series, I knew there would be another one or two. It just wasn't there yet with the one I wanted to speak. A phone conversation this week with another preacher inspired what I want to say this morning as a part of that same series. So this will be number five. Let's preface that with Luke 21, verse 34, where this series started. Jesus says, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life and that day, a particular specific day that is coming. He said, lest that day take you unawares. Verse 35, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. So this is not a local warning. This is a global warning from our Lord. Verse 36, watch you, therefore. Now, that's personal. You watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I don't think it assumes that you're going to anyway, because if you were just going to anyway, there wouldn't be a need for him to say, watch and pray, pay attention to what's going on around you so that you're not caught up in the cares of this world and the things that God has to judge. How many of you believe that God will judge the world and he will judge all the, the sinful ways of this world? But he tells us as his people, now I believe that God who is sovereign is able to inspire us and motivate us to do his will so that we're not going to be caught unawares. I don't believe we will be. I believe God is faithful. I believe he is gracious, but I believe the warning goes out to keep us on target, to keep us thinking about spiritual things. He said, there's a day coming that if you are careless, if you are careless, you and I, if we're not paying attention and we're careless, in verse 34, he said about how you live and the choices you're making in life, the things you're doing and getting involved in, if you're not careful, these things will become a snare to you. For the way and the trends of this world, all over the world, is going to bring the judgment of God. And it's going to snare a lot of people who really aren't paying attention. I believe churches are full of good people, kind people. I, th I can include my parents. They went to church all the time. I don't think it meant much. I didn't see it much in their everyday lives. We never talked about Jesus in our house. And so I don't know how much this meant or how much, if they ever heard that, how much they thought about it or how much meaning it had to them. Maybe it was just a Bible quote, a 
Sunday morning sermon that we just hear and then go home like good church members do. But the warning Jesus said is, he said that this day is going to come like a snare on the whole world. He said, now you watch and you pray always. Now listen to these words, that you may be accounted worthy to escape. There's kind of a word here about an intense lifestyle. This is not casual Christianity. This is not just this church on the corner and that church and we're all going there. This is a message that Jesus gave to his people. He warns the world, but it's specifically for us. He said, you make sure that you pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape these things so that you will stand before the Son of Man. So we take that, I take that as a warning, that this is what God is saying to us. And I want to be ready, and I want to escape all the things that are coming in this world, and I believe I will. Now, if you go to Luke 18, 8, here's another reference in Luke's gospel that Jesus made to the end times, in the last days, a day that is coming. I said a day that is and a day that is coming. Luke chapter 18, I am sure all of you are familiar with this verse of Scripture. But I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, we can go no further until we think about that this morning, because that's what I believe the Lord has given us to think about personally. If Jesus came today and he was looking for faith, faithful people, when he looked at me, would he find it? Would he say, now, he's faithful, she's faithful? Or would they say, well, they're good members, they're good husbands, good fathers, they're good giving and helpful people? That's not what he said he's looking for. He's not looking for who has the most Sunday school pins. He's not looking for who's been the member the longest in the church. He's looking for faith. That can apply to one who just came to the Lord as well as one who's been in with the Lord 50 years. Same thing. He says, when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on this earth? That's the message I want to talk about today. Now, in preparation for this message, I was looking to see what other commentators said about this verse. Most of them are not much help, but one of them, a man named J.C. Ryle, he was probably a good Calvinist from back in the early 1800s. He made this comment, and I thought it was good. It's a challenging comment. It's something that we ought to hear. He said, where is faith to be seen? How many around us really believe what the Bible contains? How many live as if they believe that Christ died for them and that there is a judgment, a heaven, and a hell? These are most painful and serious inquiries, but they demand and deserve an answer. I would agree with that. I've been a Christian 40-plus years now, and I have spoke in a lot of places in different places. And I have met many, many wonderful, kind, nice, helpful, and thoughtful people. And I wish that was all it took to get to heaven. But the problem is, if that's all it took to get to heaven, then we wouldn't need Jesus to die and, for us and do what he did. We could just be good, thoughtful, kind people, and we go to heaven. 
lot of people think like that. But the question comes back is, when Jesus comes back, he obviously, this is what all of this is about, what we're being prepared for. When he comes back, will he find faith? He'll find church members. He'll find people going to church. He'll find busy people building something, buying something and doing something, broadcasting something and, and preparing for something. But will he find faith? A word that is so casual to most Christian people. The word faith, for most, probably most church folks, faith means it's just a church you belong to. You're the Methodist faith. I'm of a Presbyterian faith or a Baptist or a Catholic or Episcopalian, whatever that is. And that's the selection you made in this life where you will go and where you will count on the content of what you hear to prepare you for the coming of the Lord. That's the way it should be. But a lot of people just look for a comfortable place where the message pleases them and they park themselves there and they listen without thinking about what they're hearing. They just sit there the rest of their life and assume that because I go to the Christian church, I'm going to heaven. But Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Not membership, faith. Like our man here, J.C. Ryle said, where is faith to be seen? Where would you see it? Where would you find faith today? How many around us really believe what the Bible contains? How many live as if what the Bible says is really true, that Jesus died, rose again, that there is a coming judgment? How many people believe that? We've all heard it, but how many people really believe that? Now back to Luke 18 and 8. Question I want to ask you first is why faith? Why didn't he say, when the Son of Man comes, will he find love? Why didn't he say, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find hope? For he made the distinction in one of his epistles. Paul did. Uh, there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Why didn't Jesus then say, when the Son of Man returns, will he find love? Why did he say, will he find faith? Now, to me, as a minister... Finding out what faith is and what God means when he talks about faith and how I'm supposed to make application of that is a big deal because faith is more than just an acknowledgement that I belong to some system of religion. Faith is a way of life. It is what he's promised. And, and why did he ask this? Or why did he say when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Because biblical faith is the only way, the only way you can relate to and respond to God. Now, you, people do a lot of things. Didn't he tell a bunch of people once, but Lord, we did this and we did this and we did this. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Didn't he say that? Matthew 7. So there's something here that we need to know. Turn to Hebrews 11. You're going to have to use your Bible this morning because I, want to, I don't want you to believe what I'm telling you because I said it. I want you to see it for yourself and believe it because the Bible says it. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. The only way I can properly, scripturally, approvingly relate to God is by faith. For he said in Hebrews eleven six, for without faith it is impossible to what? 
please him. Now, wait a minute. Now, let's all stop. Let's not be in a hurry. See, I know what you're going to say. I hope you do know what I'm going to say. Your Bible says this is not a Hamilton message. This is not a Shelbyville Christian Assembly message. It's in your Bible. So let's give God the credit for the message. He said, for without faith, whatever faith is, if you set it aside and not esteem it or deem it a big deal in your life and necessary, if faith is only a confession about something without a life that follows, then you'll set it aside, and then how can you, whatever church you belong to, how can you please God? I believe Jesus is real serious about his coming. I believe he was real serious when he said only if you were going to make it. I do. I can't see hearts. He can see hearts. He knows what's in, in all of our hearts this morning. Nobody here is fooling God about anything. He knows us. But he says without faith, whatever else you're doing, nothing will please him. But, Lord, we did this. I don't care what you did. Faith reduces you down to a place where only God and his way is right. He said, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Then he says these words, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and what? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I'm afraid for most people, the reward part is only that you go to heaven. It contains little for this life. They do not believe in his benefits, like Psalm 103, and, and forget not all his benefits. So there's a whole lot to life that God offers us while we're here. Peace and joy, for one. Well-being, how's that? But he said, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, because you can't see him. He doesn't speak audibly to us. I've heard he has to some, but it never happened to me. You can't see him. You can't touch him. Your five senses are out of the picture here. Not what I see or hear or taste or smell or, or feel. It, it, it's none of that. I have to believe he is. I can't make him be. He already is. I've got to take him at his word. That's all I got. I can't even prove, as I've said before, I can't even prove that this word is accurate from one end to the other. I can't prove that. I believe that, but I can't prove it. And so the educated world says, well, you're kind of foolish, aren't you? Maybe I am. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. You're welcome. But he said, he that comes to God must, must believe that he is. How do I know he is? How do I know he is? I have to believe it. Based on what do I believe that? I'm talking about, folks, the kind of thinking that we have to have in order to live the way he wants. How do I know there's a God? I mean, I've never seen him. I've never heard his voice. I didn't see the stone rolled away. I didn't see him die on a cross. How do you know he did? This world today is being talked out of all these fundamentals of the Christian faith. And they're going to church hoping that church membership will get you in heaven without really understanding or desiring to know or answer these questions. How do you know that God is? I don't know that he is. I believe that he is. 
But my belief is, to me, reality. I'm at peace with that. I've given up a lot of things, walked away from a lot of things because I believe something that was written in a book. I believe it. I'm not required to prove it. I do not have to sit up days and nights studying ancient manuscripts, if I could, to try and prove that all this is true. I see a lot of evidence in the world of the reality of God. These poor evolutionists, bless their heart, they're, they're blinder than a bat. But that's of God also, because it is God who can blind eyes, shut ears, so that having eyes to see, they can't see, and having ears to hear, people can't hear. God's very particular about who gets to hear his word. A natural man receives not the things of the Spirit. Why you? Maybe from a long time ago, believe this. Before there was ever a world, in Ephesians chapter 1, early in there, God chose you to salvation. You didn't know that. You can't even prove that right now. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that the day that God showed you your sins and you repented of your sins and you turned around and asked God to forgive you, you've got to believe all of that is real. You've got to turn and face the world and the rest of your life and all the difficulties that you'll face in your life. You've got to live as though that choice you made was an eternal choice and the power that was in that choice will get you through the rest of your life. You can't quit. You don't put your hand on a plow and then give it up. But if you don't believe that, you will. You will assume on God. Well, I don't know if you have to put your hand on the plow. I don't know about it. I don't know if you have. And so you just back away. Not if you have faith. Everybody that backs away, when you come back, Jesus said, you didn't believe. You gave up. You let go. You turned back. You didn't believe. I don't see faith in you. Faith in what? You get faith in yourself. You don't have faith in me. You're afraid I might fail. You're afraid all these promises won't work for you. You're afraid you'll take a step out there to trust God, and then everybody will laugh at you. You'll get fired. You'll die, or something will happen. You didn't have faith. You're afraid. And we're all naturally afraid. We were born afraid. Everybody in this room was born with some kind of a fear. But the more you walk his way, the Bible said he delivers us from all of our fears. That's what he said. So he said when he said this business about he that comes to God must believe that he is, I have to believe that. My life's going to be full of needs the rest of my life, and yet he promises in the same verse, I must also believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Does that mean that he'll give me the desires of my heart? Who believes that? You have to look long and strong today to find anybody in the church that believes that. It's in their Bible, but they don't believe it. God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's what he said. Isn't that what he said? Well, that's what Hamilton preached. Forget Hamilton. Hamilton, Smamilton, be Vamilton. Believe what the Bible says. He said he would. I'm just repeating what he said because I have enough sense to say what he says right. I'm not going to draw back and say, I don't know about that. You have no, no options. There is no other way. Only God is right. Everything that is right comes from God. That's what we're supposed to live about. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right ways, 
Nothing else is right. There are no options, no substitutes. You say, you're making this awful narrow. I didn't make it anything. How many of you believe I wrote this book? If I told you, now don't do it, but if I told you to turn to the front of that pricey Bible you brought, that pure Moroccan leather Bible, and you wrote it in the front, I dare any of you to find where it said this book was written by Tom Hamilton. That person is so little and insignificant in God, you won't even find that name in the entire Bible. I'm not even in it. And guess what? Y'all ain't either. Why faith? Because that's how we please God. It's how I relate to God. I have to believe that he is. Was it Moses that endured all those years wandering around, believing that God was in the invisible God? Believing that he who spoke really is, and he acted with his life like it's true? People thought maybe he was crazy. They thought Noah was crazy. Building a boat when it never has rained. Talking about a flood, which is like speaking in a foreign language. A what? A flood. And yet Noah became the scorn of the whole earth until the flood started. And then like then, just like today too, when, it, when this day comes, folks, the people that weren't paying attention or only casually listened to what God had to say will then know this was what they were talking about, and I didn't get ready. Unawares. Another thing, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. You know what this is, but I want you to see it. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 tells us how we walk down here. Walk is a manner of life, how we live. For we walk by faith and what? Despite a reference here, we don't walk and assume that what's true is what we can see. Anybody can live by what you see. Like folks say, well, I'll believe it if I see it. You ever heard that? Thomas said it. I will not believe until I see the holes in his hand and the place in his side. Then I'll believe it. Well, you wouldn't believe it then. You'd know it then. You don't believe what you see. You know what you see. You have to believe what you don't see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. If you believe in what is not seen, there's some way you act and some way you conduct your life that, that testifies to that. Well, I, I believe it's true. I believe my name is in the Lamb's book of life. You ever seen the book? How do you know it is? I have to believe. I have to believe. Can I tell my pop machine story again? One more time? Anyway, just give me a few more times. When you walk up to that Coke box, that Pepsi, whatever kind of pop, Coke, is in a machine today, you can't see inside of it. You have to read the instructions because if you're going to get the Coke out of there, you've got to do it the way it says to do it, don't you? And not only do you have to read, but you've got to contribute something to this cause. So you read on there, it tells you what to do. It tells you, first of all, look what's in here, yummy, yummy, in your tummy. And over here, it tells you how to get it out of this box into your belly. But here's what you have to do. Faith comes by hearing. Now you do this, and how do I know if you believe that? You, you do it. 
you don't see the pop first. You got to read about it. Woo! Wasn't that good? And then you got to look on here and tell how to get it. You don't even know if that'll work. You got to believe it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. That's why they got dents on the side of them and, and been kick marks on the bottom of them. But you see, you look at it. You look at it and you read that, and then it tells you to get your appropriate amount of money out, which is way too much for the stuff you're drinking. But you get it out, and you drop like a slot machine. You start putting quarters in it until the thing finally light comes on, and then uh, it tells you what what button to push, and then you push the button, and then you step back in anticipation. We call that hope in the Bible. You step back, having exercised your faith. Now you wait for the provision, the promised provision, and you hear a noise. And then you hear a clunk, there it is. And you pick it up, and you never said, wow, praise God, did you see that? You never did that. You just pick it up and start drinking it. Everybody has faith. Everybody believes something. Unbelief is the same force that faith is. It, the difference is in what you do with your will. If I do not believe this pop machine will work, that's what I believe. Are you with me? That's my faith. And because I do not believe, I'm not putting my money in there. My mother didn't raise, you know, the rest of it. And so, but that's my unbelief becomes what I believe. Whereas another person says, well, I, I believe what it says. I'm going to do it. Same power went both ways. It's a will. The choice that you make, your will is how you exercise your faith. You say, I believe this. I choose to believe this. I choose not to believe this. To choose to believe God brings you to the benefits of God. To choose not to please God nullifies the benefits, but it's your faith. That's where you are. That's what you believe. And everybody in this room lives by choices. Every day you make choices, and every choice you make is an indication to some degree of what you believe. Everybody has faith in something. People tell you how bad they feel because they believe they're bad. Well, I'm sure if I go outside today, I'll catch a cold because they believe that. Somebody else says, I believe, I believe if I go outside today, God will protect me and take care of me, and I believe I'm under the blood not to curse. That's what they believe. They both believe, but one is in God, trusting him. The other one is in what they can see, what they can feel, their past experiences. Nobody in this room was sicker than I was. Nobody in this room was sicker than I was growing up. Nobody stuttered worse than I did in this room. None of you. Handicapped coming to the Lord. The way I was taught by the world and my church and my family and society and the place my brain was when I came to the Lord, all of this in the Bible was so different. But it worked for me. Not because I'm... Some professor, some school, God knows, and you know better than that. I just made a simple choice in my life. Little choices, as a little bit was shown. God gave a little bit, enough that I could understand. I make a little choice. I believe that. I'm going to do that. I believe this. I'm going to do this. And from glory to glory to glory, you make choices as God gives opportunity. That he is altogether right and you're altogether wrong. You give up the old, you turn on to the new. In this way, you are proving and showing you are faithful to what God is saying. That's what Jesus 
is looking for. He's looking for that. If he was just looking for nice, kind people, well, you'll find that in a lot of places. People don't go to church. But he's looking for people who reduce their life down to his way. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Wrestling with all the issues, because this isn't easy. The mind is being renewed to determine God's will and to accept it. And as you do that, you begin to see that he is right. I haven't lived that way. How can I please God if I hear what he has to say, but I don't do it? How could I enjoy the pop in this machine if I don't believe the instructions? How can life be what God says it's supposed to be if we don't take him at his word? I heard a minister say this morning on the radio, people say, well, why doesn't God do something here? Why doesn't God do something there? You know, in this great tragedy, why would God not intervene there? God has already done everything we need to have done for us. When Jesus was raised from the dead and appeared to his disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Didn't he say that? Now, what more do we need? Because he then says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Go into all the world and do what I did. And the works that I did you will also do. And then we're sitting down here because we're ignorant of the truth, crying about why doesn't God do something? He already has. He said, whatever you bind on this earth, heaven will back it. Whatever you allow and tolerate, well, if you don't want God to get involved in it, you just want to, well, I've got it this time. I don't think I can do it. I thought I'd die, scared me to death, killing me. Well, you just handicapped yourself because God doesn't honor that. This is a life, a life that is mostly unheard of in Christian circles because it's so different than just little sermons, I suppose. But he said, we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't determine by what we feel and what we think or what we see because God gives us things to believe that you can't see. God gives us things to believe that you can't feel. God gives us things to believe that you can't hear. You have to take him at his word. That's a choice you have to make. You've got a choice. God gave you a will, and it's going to determine your life now and the end of your life, your will, the choices you make. So you see, not only do we walk by faith and not by sight, the Bible says we live by faith. The only prayer that's acceptable to God is a prayer of faith. And then he talks about all these other things. We overcome by faith. We receive from God. By, everything is faith. Everything. Lord, the tree you curse is dying. And he said, have faith in God. Peter began to sink on the sea. Why did you sink, oh, you of little faith? Remember that? Every time they turned around, it was faith. If you have faith and doubt not, things like that. It is so prominent in the scriptures, yet we hear so seldom in Christian societies. Now, I don't know why, except the devil doesn't want us to hear it, and he works overtime to convince ministers, I guess, that it's not important, just assuming that everybody has faith. You ask anybody, do you have faith in God? Oh, yeah, everybody does. Everybody does. And yet, find a handful that will trust him. Find a handful that will trust him. 
And they'll think you're weird and crazy and strange if you think they ought to just trust the Lord with all their heart and lean not to their own understanding. This is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He said, this faith thing, this is what God tests when he tests you. When he tests you, he tests your faith. What do you believe? Didn't he say it in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see if, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. He says, know ye not that Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Don't assume. Don't assume that because you raised your hand in an evangelistic meeting that you're all right. Don't assume that because you go to church every week, you're all right. It's the life you live. Amen. Now listen to me. You know this. I believe everybody that's ever born again is going to heaven, and ain't nobody going to pluck you out of their hands. I believe that. I'm just not sure that everybody said yes to God really meant it. Because if you can say yes to God and cry about your sin and then turn out that door and live the way you did yesterday, I don't think you meant it. But sheep and goats, that, that scenario, and, and good fish and bad fish, when the Lord comes back, he's going to separate from in the church the good and the bad. He calls it his kingdom, but he's going to separate all the good from the bad and, and the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. <clears throat> And the sheep will be there and the goats won't in heaven. We're living a life right now that's going to determine what is really in our hearts. And it has to do all about what do you believe, what God has said. But examine yourself. Test yourself. Put yourself to the test. He said, prove your own selves. Is Christ Jesus the Lord and Master of all life? Is he in you? Is there evidence of Christ, the indwelling Christ? My favorite title. You young preachers, get a series on this if you ever preach. The indwelling Christ. Is he in there? Did he come in? Did he take his place on that throne of your heart where he is master and Lord of your life? Have you given to him your will so that he can direct the course of your life, direct your steps as it pleases him. And are you willing to go that way? The Christian life. This is what the Christian life is. I wasn't taught these. These things I had to learn later on as I began to examine things myself. It's the life that we're supposed to live. Let me tell you something else about why faith. Faith is a big deal, and Jesus is looking for faith because there's no other way for us to mature or to grow. To mature or to grow. Would you look again in James chapter 1 and verse 12? No other way for us to mature or to grow. Now, James chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, When a man is put to the test to be tried and determined, it said, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to all those who love him. Now, does your Bible say that? Something close to that. Blessed is the man that endureth testing. Now, listen to me. Endure means you didn't give up. Endure means you didn't turn back. 
endure didn't mean you let your mind get out of gear and just, oh, man, I, all the time. I mean, just, I, you don't allow yourself to do it because that's the devil's work to get you to give up and quit. Any man that draws back draws back to destruction in Hebrews 10. You can't allow yourself to do that. This is a life. You've got to fight a good fight here. You've got to war a good warfare. We sing the song, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I'll follow you anyway. Well, when you're put to the test, what did you do? When your prayer wasn't answered, when this didn't come to pass, when this failed, somebody died, what did you do? Did you draw back and question God or whether he's right? Most of the time, they questioned the preacher. Well, that preacher taught us, what did the preacher teach you? Well, he told us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Isn't that something? I hope he did teach you that because that's what the Bible says. Well, you got to blame somebody because we're all victims anyway, aren't we? I'm not. I'm accountable. Not only to God, but to many of you. Give an account. Again, in verse, verse 12 there, he said, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation for when he is tried. Let me tell you something about the word tried. The word tried is a word, a Greek word pronounced dokimos. Dokimos. And it means one who is approved. One who is accepted. And it takes the trials and the tests of life. The times you're tempted not to do it God's way, but those trials and testings are what will determine your acceptance to God, being what God wants, being approved unto God. And it's interesting that you take the word dokimas and you put an A in front of it, which is negative, whatever was said. Adokimas means whatever dokimas is being acceptable. The A means it now means unacceptable, unapproved, that's what the word was at the end of 2 Corinthians 13, 5. We should examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. He said, if you don't pass the test, then you'll be disqualified. You're unacceptable. That's how big a deal it is about your faith. Is Christ in you? Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith or not. Are you? Is there anything wrong with me asking you all that? Are you in the faith? Do you want to live and walk by faith? You don't have a choice if you're a Christian. You're just going to have to shoulder up to it and say, we have no other way. There's no other options. There's no higher ground. There's nothing else. This is the only way for all of us, for the great and the famous, for the, for the low and the weak. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. You know, I say because you were great, you weren't saved because you were poor. You were saved because God wanted to save you. The life you live is required of the king as much as it is the pauper. Same book, same content, same requirements, same judgment. God is no respecter of persons, faith, counting on God, trusting in God, taking your will to embrace the word of God and say, I choose to take God at his word. Let me ask you a question. Does taking God at his word make the word true? The word was true whether you believe it or not. Whether you accept it or not, it's still true. 
your choice to take God at his word only brings you the benefits of it and makes you pleasing to God. This is what faith does. It's what this message is all about. And when you're tried and when you're tested, as James talks about, when you're being put to the test, what's being put to the test is, do you really believe that? You really believe that? Will you believe that if you fail? Will you believe that if it doesn't work? You know it'll work if God said it, but there's times it looks like it won't work. How many years was it after God made a promise to Abraham? 75 years old. He's a couple years older than I am. You're going to father another kid. Okay. But he waited until he was 100. A little lengthy. 100 years old. 100 years old. And I wonder if Abraham ever thought in 25 years. Well, when's it going to happen? Or did he never question God? And just confess to other people, Sarah and I are going to have a baby. He's going to wait till I'm 100 and she's 90. There'll be more tore up about her having a baby at 90 than it will be me fathering one at 100. I mean, who's ever seen a 90-year-old woman carrying a child? God chooses to do things like that. You talk about a test of your faith, that's a test. How many of you that are over 50? would have by the age of 70 said, well, this ain't, this, this ain't going to work. You know why you say that? Because you walk up a sight. You don't feel it. You don't see it. You don't think it. It ain't going to work. And he's 100 years old. It can't work. How's this going to be? How can two old people like this have children? And God says, I'm going to wait till you're real old, until the world and all the medical authorities and all the, all the note takers of the world say, how can this be? And then I'm going to do it. And they're going to go, The Bible said Sarah received strength to conceive because she believed God. Abraham, similar, not the same words, but he was able to father a child because he counted on God. Folks, the same faith that God gave to Abraham is the same faith he's offered to the church because we're told to have the faith of Abraham. We can do this. We can live like this. Again, we have no other choice. And for our maturity, this is how God brings us to maturity. It's not knowledge. If we just had a Bible study, the church is a teaching center. It is a Bible study. It's what we are. It's not an entertainment hour. It's a study hour. We're here to learn. But if all we ever do is learn, all we ever have is knowledge, right? Right? You say, well, faith comes by hearing. Well, if all you do is hear, all you, all you can do is know something. But you got to live what you know. What if you don't live what you know? Then <laughs> what good was it to learn it? Faith is putting to practice what you know. If what you know is what God gave you to know, and you put that to practice, God calls it faith. If you know what God says and you will not do what God says because it doesn't make sense, God calls it sin. Well, where does it say that? Well, how about one verse? He that knoweth to do good, is it still in there? He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to that person, what is it? Sin. 
Sin makes you pleasing to God, doesn't it? No. In fact, Isaiah 59, 2 says, it is your sins and your iniquity that separate between you and God that he will not hear. That's why you question all the events in life that you pray and you pray and you pray about this, you pray about this, and yet it doesn't work. Maybe it's sin. And our preacher gets fired for saying that today. If the pulpit committee meets today and say, you're fired today, then I'll get fired today. But that's what the Bible says. That's what it says. You know what? I want to hear that. And as a minister, I want you to hear that. And if it makes you squirm in your seat, then that's good godly conviction. I hope you squirm. If it makes you steadfast in your heart, then that's, that's that affirmation of his word to your heart. That, that, yes, your heart is right, and this is what you're doing. Because I want to receive the end of my faith. Does the Bible still say that in 1 Peter 1, 9? Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, another thing about why Jesus said when he comes back, will he find faith? Not only do we have that first part there about how we relate and respond to God, there's no other way, but secondly, has to do with our deliverance from things in this life. It's by faith. We will call it the promise of the power of faith. The power of faith. Is there power in faith? Has God ever said anywhere in the Bible that there is power when a man believes, or power in faith, or has power with God, or brings God's power on the scene? Let's see. Let's just run through a couple of them. You bear with me. And I'll just quote this. You don't even have to look at it. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus said, what things soever you desire. Now, you'll have to do that in this life. You won't do that in heaven, yet that's for this life. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it. And he said, and you'll get it. Who believes that? In all of Christianity today, who believes that? How many thousand times have people heard that and it had no meaning? Jesus said, what things soever. You, this was after he said, if you have faith as a grain of, you know, mountains go within the sea and nothing, everything. He said, what things soever you desire? Church? Christians? Professing Christians? What things soever you desire? When you pray... Believe. Believe what? In the Greek text from which this was written, it's in what is called the past tense, the word receive. And you can check it out for yourself. It means have received, past tense. When you pray, believe you have received. Accept as true what God has said in his word before you see any evidence of it. Lamb's book of life. Believe it's there. Live like it's true. Live like I can't do this, can't go there, can't act this way, wear that, or because I believe my name's in the Lamb's book of life and I've got to live on his level. That's a narrow way, but I'm willing to do it because I believe my name's in the book. I'm accountable to God. Live this way and you shall live. But he said, what things ever you desire, when you pray, he said, believe that you have received it and you shall. 
There is no other way, folks, listen to me, to be saved. Everything it takes to save you has been done. Jesus did it at the cross, did he not? Verified who he was and what he said to be absolutely absolute when God raised him from the dead. He wouldn't raise a half-right man. He raised him from the dead, put his signature on the fact that everything Jesus said is right. He has, he was God in the flesh. And this same Jesus comes back and comes to our living rooms, our automobiles, church meetings, and he says, what things soever you desire. When you pray, when you pray, believe you've got it. That's how I got saved. On this side of the church, right here, not in this building, there's a return air duct right here, and Bob Morgan was kneeling on it, poor soul, and I was right behind him. And I asked God to save me and forgive me of all my sins. That wonderful day in June, 1968, that I asked him to save me. I'll never forget it. It's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life ever, that ever will on this side of heaven. But when I prayed that day, I chose as an act of my will to believe that I was forgiven and that I was saved. And it has truly been borne out for 44 years. But that's the way it works. You can't say, well, I feel saved because you can also feel unsaved. Saved men have stubbed their toes or hit their finger with a hammer and had unsaved thoughts. Perhaps an unsaved word. We've yacked about things we shouldn't yak about, talked about people we shouldn't talk about, even though we're saved because, you know, we tend to forget what we've been taught and we sin, but we have an advocate with the Father. We'll repent and confess our sins. He'll forgive us. But this is how you get saved. This is how you live the life. Everything goes back to God. Do you believe what he said? Yes. Do you accept what he said is true? Yes. Then make your declaration. I make my declaration, Lord, I believe you and I trust you with all my heart in Jesus' name. Turn to Mark 9, 23. You have to love this. This is a verse of scripture that you have to love. Because again, he said, shall the son of man, when he comes back, will he find faith? Why faith? Because it's what you need in this life to get delivered from all the stuff that defeats people. God has a way to get free. Mark 9, 23. If thou canst believe, what's possible? Now, who believes that? Too many people's lives act like it won't work. Oh, they say, I don't know about that. That scares me. Oh, they're, they're killing it. The world's going crazy right now. Well, we've already been told the world's psychotic. There are demonic people all over the world who know nothing but death. Death and uncleanness and killing. That's all they know. They have no pleasure in anything good or moral, or acceptable. And I'm not talking about political parties here. I'm talking about people in this world. They see no value in being good and right and kind and nice and friendly. They just want to kill. That's in the world. It's not in America yet, 
It's been prophesied it's going to be in America one day, something I don't know. I pray that we'll be counted worthy to escape all those things. I like the word rapture. He said, if thou canst believe. And what is believing? It's an act of my will to count on God. Isn't that right? What's unbelief? An act of my will not to count on God. Because I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm, I'm not sure about that. That scares me. I'm frightened. I don't know. What if it doesn't work? One is a, I believe. Another one is I don't believe. It's the same will. It's your choice. But he said, Jesus said to this young man, he said, if thou canst believe to this father in this story, he said, actually the Greek text says, if I can believe. He says to man, all things are possible to those who believe. All things. Go back to Mark 11. Look at verse 23. Talk about power. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Do we need that in life? Have you ever heard of people talking to storms? They believe this? <laughs> the audacity. That's a good faith title, the audacity of faith. The audacity of the fact that people would walk out and face a storm and say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, go somewhere else. And it did. I know of a case where that happened. Now the unbelieving world says, oh, come on. I'll, I'll. Well, it won't work for you. You're just going to have to stand there and get a good insurance policy and pick it all up when it's over. That was a little rude probably to say that, but I, I'm just saying that there's, there's so much unbelief. And the church folks say that. Well, I think that's about half crazy there. They think you're crazy if you don't run to a doctor every time you sneeze. They don't realize that, you know, the human body, if you just leave a lot of stuff out of it, it, it is able it is able to fix itself. Sometimes it may need some help. But most people are so scared of any little bug, any disease, any little something. They, just, they, they live in the edge of fear all the time. We shouldn't because he should deliver us from all of our fears. He said he bore our diseases, carried our pains. I want that to be true in my life. Amen? For 42 years, we have, I haven't had a medical bill or, or a deduction or been a doctor for 42 years. Now, I did take my mother to see a doctor, so I have been in a doctor's office to take it back. But I, I like to know that years ago when I made this decision, and people laugh, ah, oh, you're crazy, I don't know about that. What would you do if? And, and with raising seven kids and 40-plus years, here I am. I don't mean that arrogantly. I am just want to say that God's word is true. I count on God for that. Yeah, but you're getting old. Now what's you going to do? I think he can take care of old people just like he can young people. Don't you? What is it about an old person that's so hard to take care of? Who said I was old? My grandkids. Anyway, Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall say unto this mountain, be thou cast into the sea. And he said in Matthew 21, it shall obey you. How many times in this life before Jesus comes are we confronted with mountains or trees 
You know, he said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this sycamine tree, be thou taken up by the roots and cast in the sea. And he said, and it will obey you. How many times do we need trees to be removed in our lives? How many times is the report that we're getting really bad and we need God's power to be brought on the bear? How many times, listen to me, all of you, how many times in this life do we need to overcome? Do we need to, to press in and not give in and not draw back and not quit? Even though there's a lot of tension in the air, God's grace is bigger than tension. It's his favor, and he will be there to help you. Remember the story on the playground? The father told his son to chin himself on a bar that he could just reach up and grab, and he reached up and grabbed him, just a little jerk up, and he did a chin up. What do you think to it? The next bar was he had to kind of jump up and grab it. And he jumped up and grabbed that bar, and uh, he said, I don't know if I can do it. His father said, I didn't ask you if you knew you could do it. I told you to do it. So wiggling like, you know, we do, or you can do this when you're old, and you're wiggling around and finally get your chin up there and drop down. <laughs> and the father said, that was good. Then there was a high bar, and he couldn't jump that high. And he said, I can't get up there. And the father said, I didn't ask you if you could get up there. I told you to chin yourself on that bar. <laughs> so the kid didn't question God, except his brain was probably going, well, how am I going to get up? So the, the boy jumped up, and he couldn't reach it. And the next time he jumped, the father just gave him a little, little boost. We all need help. And the kid almost got it. The father said, you got to try harder than that. I mean, you got to give it all. And the kid jumped with all his might, and the father gave him just enough help to get the bar. And so there's a kid hanging from the air, and he might have said, well, you had to help me. We all need help. We just draw back after the little bar. We don't want any more. But this guy went all the way. So he started his struggle. You know, he pulled himself. He couldn't hardly. I don't know if I can. The father said, I didn't ask you. If you could, I just told you to do it. Well, he was the kind of child, and the story goes, that it just shut his eyes and gritted his teeth and gave all he got, and the father just added a little bit, just enough, just a little boost until the boy finally, the father didn't do it, but the boy couldn't have done it without the father. This is why faith is so important. Not only is God with us in this life, as Jesus is coming and we're being prepared for his coming, not only is he here, but he never ceases to challenge us. And there are lots of fears that we go through. We don't know if we can do a lot of things. We don't know if we can, and we look back at all of our failures and we just assume we can't do anything. We've never really had to count on him. Help me, Jesus. He says, I'm not going to help you unless you get to the bar and, and, and jump. And I want you to realize you can't make it because out of your weaknesses, I'll give you strength. Whoops, I did it. You did it with the help of God. Amen. Give him the glory. Otherwise, you'll be down here crying, getting ready to get a whipping. But so he jumps up there, and that's what you got to do. There's not a soul in this room, none of you listening out there. We're all going to be put to the test in this life. If you're going to make Christ your Lord, you're going to be tempted and tested. You're going to have to prove yourself. That's why faith 
is so important because if you don't make the application of faith in your life and trust in God, you fail. And the Bible said when the Son of Man comes, will he find a weak little old whine and cry baby church on this earth? He said you'll be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It all comes down to a choice. Your choice to count on God to do what he said. Amen. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would minister your word to us, to our hearts, that we would all search the scriptures for ourselves, not believe what the preacher said or any book said or anybody else but that we would each stand before you and holding ourselves accountable unto you, knowing that you've made yourself available to us. We thank you this morning for all the good things you've done, for the messages and healings that we've heard through the years and the supply of people's needs and the restoration of homes and, and, and children. We know that you work miracles and that you're a mighty God. May we never lose sight of that. We're a needy bunch of people this morning, Lord. We've allowed weaknesses to come into many of our lives. And we know it. We ask you to make us strong. Lead us, Lord. Lead us to that place, that holy city. Lead us there, Lord. Make us to be right. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.